Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis is getting called out in court for being the reason why Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade is getting divorced. Julie Kelly joins us to unpack the very latest in Georgia. Texas isn't backing down. They're laying down more razor wire to push back against the invasion happening in their state. Texas Land Commissioner Dr. Don Buckingham joins us to sound off. There's a new report out by America First Legal, which details how CISA interfered in our 2020 election. Johnson Drosny joins us to detail the very latest on that. All that and more on The Brianna Morello Show. Fellas, let this be a lesson to all of you. Never, never tick off your ladies. And that's what's happening right now in Fulton County. Now, let's give you a rundown of what's going on, because it kind of sounds like a soap opera these days. So Fannie Willis, she's the district attorney of Fulton County. She brought on special prosecutor Nathan Wade. And Nathan Wade has no experience at all prosecuting crime, but he somehow got his way into this position. He's made over $600,000 from Georgia taxpayers. So we're learning how Nathan Wade allegedly got his position. And it looks like Fannie Willis might have a legally married boyfriend named Nathan Wade. Okay, so ultimately what's going on here? Nathan Wade is now getting a divorce from his wife, who he shares kids with. And what's happening in court is pretty insane. His ex-wife is literally calling out Fannie Willis as the alleged mistress, and she wants to know what was going on between the two of them, what is going on between the two of them. She's turned over credit card records, which pretty much show uh, her husband buying Fannie Willis flight tickets and going on vacation together. It's insane. So ultimately now what his ex-wife is looking to do is she's looking to have Fannie Willis subpoenaed. And well, this is how it's playing out in court. The face of her pleading shows that she has unique knowledge with regards to this case. She could have filed a motion for protective order alleging all of the legal grounds for which she would like to not have to sit for a deposition. She believes she's protected, but she didn't stop there. She went further. She asserted in her pleading, her motion for protective order to prevent herself from sitting for a deposition, that she knows is the, she knows the cause of the separation of these people. She knows detailed facts, allegedly, about their relationship, and albeit we'll deal with the falsity of those at a different hearing, that's what she said. She said it in her pleading. So on its face, her argument fails that she does not have unique knowledge with regards to the party's marriage and the situation. What D.A. Willis is seeking to do in this case, she's not seeking protection, she's seeking prohibition of our ability to access facts. I can state as an officer of the court in my place here today that the first time in the 783 days that this case has been pending, the first time that I heard that the alleged cause of the separation was some false claim with regards to my client in 2017 was in her pleading. So I had questions, and that's just the beginning of it. We have questions. I want to know about how he's been spending this money. I have a reason to believe he's spending it on another woman. That's my client's money. And I want to ask questions about that. She's trying to hide under the shield of her position improperly, I would suggest, Your Honor. There's a couple things that are improper about it. First of all, and I'd like for the court to clarify this, it's, there's no doubt that she's, she's busy. She has one of the most active district attorney offices in the state. However, as Mr. Axon cited under 926.1, 
D2, if you look at that, it says the person receiving the protective order had unique personal knowledge of one or more matters relevant to the subject matter. We know she did. She put it in her pleading. So ultimately, Fannie Willis is trying to get out of the subpoena, but she knows too much and will likely not be able to get out of this one. I want to bring in the woman who was responsible for flagging that great soundbite for us. Let's bring in journalist Julie Kelly. Julie Kelly is the writer for juliekelly.substack.com. Julie, thank you for putting this on our radar because it almost I almost didn't see it. I thought it was an incredible soundbite of Wade's ex-wife kind of just going at Fanny and saying, listen, lady, you snitched on yourself. You know too much and we want to hear what you know. And ultimately, yeah, you were spending money that did not just belong to Nathan Wade, but also belonged to her client, which is his ex-wife, technically. So your reaction to Fannie Willis just kind of getting her foot stuck in her mouth? I mean, this whole saga is so fascinating and so delicious because who would have seen this coming? So here's Fannie Willis, who hires her lover, Nathan Wade, who apparently has no criminal Uh, prosecutorial experience. She has now paid him more than $650,000 in tax dollars to retain his services. Um, Of course, he's part of this team that's going after Donald Trump and associates in her RICO indictment for the 2020 election. And now we have receipts that show that Nathan Wade is purchasing trips. He's purchasing airline tickets for Fannie Willis. Uh, There's other charges for hotels and for flowers that Jocelyn Wade, Nathan's, Nathan, his estranged wife, they're not divorced yet. This is part of the divorce proceedings that's been going on for now two years. That now Annie Willis has hired him, paying him with tax dollars, you know, more than six figures, a plum amount of money. And then he is turning around using those funds uh, to to take her on trips and vacations, et cetera. So this was a fascinating exchange. And what Fannie Wills did is she filed a protective order seeking to not sit for a deposition in this legal proceeding, saying that she's not a witness, she's not a party to it, but then at the same time disclosed what you saw her attorney say, uh, allegations or private knowledge about what resulted in the the dissolution of this marriage. So this was a hearing earlier this week. I believe there's another hearing scheduled for next week where the judge will decide, he put it on hold this week, will decide whether to move forward and force her to sit for a deposition in this case. Yeah. And Julie, I think it's so interesting because, you know, when I started first going through the special prosecutor, Nathan Wade's background, I saw that he was a defense attorney, but there was really nothing that stood out to me that would show that he has the skill set to be able to take on an investigation like this. And it's even more fascinating to see how his ex-wife is literally dumping his business credit card uh, records, his, his billing information, which directly does link Fannie Willis to an airline's ticket that was booked on their credit card and it also links him. And it's just so interesting to see all of this come out. Now, she hasn't even addressed the concerns that were raised regarding her relationship with him. In fact, she's been kind of dodging it. And so it's interesting to see it all play out. Now, at that same hearing, too, her attorney spoke up and they tried to make the argument that Fannie Willis is just too busy to make it into court to talk about these matters. I want to play the soundbite and get your reaction on the other end of it because I thought it was kind of comical. Let's take a listen. So, in this case, of course, the most recognizable 
issue is that she's dealing with, over in Fulton County, the election interference case involving former President Trump. Well, okay, well Mr. Axon, let me interrupt you. Let me yes. ask you just to focus on the part of the law that says um, the proposed opponent lacks unique personal knowledge of any matter that's relevant. Are you saying that uh, your client lacks unique personal knowledge that could not be discovered some other way? I would argue that she does, that the knowledge that she may or may not have is not unique. Um, you've got two parties in the case, one who is alleged to have some extramarital affair with Ms. Willis. If that is the case, if that is the case, if that is true, he has that information. I like how the judge did that. So he brought him back into like, so tell us, does, does she have this information? And his lawyer, her lawyer obviously appears to take a second to think before responding because he's gotten himself in trouble before and said too much previously. But ultimately, do you think, Julie, that he's going to, that she's going to get herself out of this? Cause it doesn't look like that. Um, I'm not sure. The judge seemed very skeptical about, as you just played Danny Willis's attorney's arguments. He really did listen to Jocelyn Wade's attorney when she was explaining what was happening. Of course, this case has been going on for now two years and the circumstances have changed. Now, it would be unusual, usually public officials at her level, um, it's very difficult to get them to sit for depositions of this nature. So it wouldn't be totally shocking if the judge didn't allow it, but he made it clear if he was not going to compel her to sit for a deposition that he would want some other type of information from her related to her unique knowledge of the Wade's marital situation and presumably their finances. So I'm sure I feel pretty confident that we will be hearing something from Fannie Willis or her attorney, or this will end up in a protracted battle that will continue to discredit her and sabotage her ongoing case as they are moving towards trial and, you know, now have some pre-trial hearings even this week on this uh, RICO indictment. Yeah, it's interesting. I really hope this does come to the surface because a lot of great Americans are being prosecuted right now in Fulton County by this corrupt prosecutor. And ultimately, this needs to come to the surface. We need to start exposing this. So I'm excited. I'm excited for what's coming next. I want to talk about something else that's been on our radar. You recently posted the Ray Epps sentencing transcript, which was very fascinating to me as well. In it, uh, the DOJ is ultimately at one point admitting that uh, Ray Epps did commit multiple crimes on January 6th, which is fascinating in itself. And I'll go to the next part, which is uh, we'll go to number two, which is also the fact that uh, he was the victim of a widespread conspiracy theory that is both false and continuing to be promoted uh, by many. Ultimately, we all saw the sentencing. We all saw how he was charged and how he worked with the DOJ. It doesn't look like it's a conspiracy, but the transcript in itself seems to go light and kind of defend Ray Epps in itself. So, Julie, what are you making all of this? Most people are taking away the fact that Ray Epps did at some capacity work with the federal government. But do you think you've seen enough to kind of prove just that? I mean, 
I can tell you, after more than three years of covering the January 6th prosecution, all of the charges, so many of the defendants, a lot of the court proceedings, there is nothing comparable to the situation and the treatment of Ray Epps. Um, first of all, he was on video, as we know, January 5th, imploring people to go to the Capitol. He was a key figure, not just in the first breach point, but the second breach point. The DOJ lied for a long time about Ray Epps's presence at, on these restricted grounds. Now, he was there for almost two hours. So he was interfering with law enforcement. He was on restricted grounds. As the DOJ admitted, and I have articulated in detail, the numerous crimes that Ray Epps should be charged with, not the least of which is obstruction of an official proceeding, the most common felony, 1512C2, slapped against more than 300 January 6th defendants, including people who were at the Capitol after the joint session uh, had to recess that day at about 2.20. Ray Epps was there the entire time. If anyone obstructed the official proceeding of the Electoral College count and helped um, you know, prompt the circumstances of the joint session recess, uh, of the joint session um, uh, recessing. It was someone like Ray Epps. So here you have the DOJ admitting it, but then by the same token, portraying him as a victim, as a unique victim, hmm. where he has been somehow subjected to vilification by the media and influencers that other J6ers have not been subjected to. That's just a flat out lie. I mean, you have. Joe Biden calling January 6th protesters domestic terrorists and insurrectionists. Uh, nothing of the sort. They haven't been charged that way, almost all of them. Certainly no one's been charged with insurrection. So if there's a conspiracy theory or something that's untrue, it's the fact that these people are all domestic terrorists. But somehow Ray Epps, one of the most prevalent figures that entire day and the night before, is a victim, gets a slap on the wrist, disorderly conduct, no FBI raid, and won't spend a day in prison. Yeah. Well, the first red flag also, for those who are who were watching, had to be the fluff pieces he got from 60 Minutes and the New York Times. I mean, still to this day, I don't think there's been a single J6 defendant who has received any type of cushy coverage from the corporate media world. And so for me, that was a red flag. And I love it. One part of the transcript, too, you also uh, highlighted the fact that the DOJ is saying that he took uh, he took like efforts to kind of tamper down the energy and kind of help the crowd like kind of calm down a little bit. It was all garbage. We all saw the video. We all saw what happened that day. And so, Julie, I am I'm deeply concerned by this. Uh, I will continue to kind of you know pay attention to this because I think a lot of J sixers are sitting in prison right now. And I know this is something that you and I are both passionate about, but they're sitting in prison right now for the wrong reasons. They did nothing wrong that day. They were peaceful. They were just literally taking a tour through the Capitol, taking a stroll. And they were sitting in prison right now while this guy who literally incited a riot uh, is sitting there and he's got, you know, like a slap on the wrist, probation, nothing more. And so it's disappointing. Uh, Julie Kelly, again, to our audience, is the writer of the Substack, juliekelly.substack.com. We appreciate all that you do and digging through these court documents because, like I told you earlier, not many people want to do it. Not people do do the hard work. And we are just so grateful that you do do it. So thank you, Julie. Thanks, Brianna. Thanks for covering the subject and thanks for having me on. And if you enjoyed that interview, make sure you hit the subscribe button and give us a thumbs up. And if you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, make sure you give us a five-star review. 
And well, if you're watching on YouTube, you've got to make sure you're following us on other platforms because they just handed us down our very first strike. So eventually they might try to nuke us. So make sure you're following me on both Twitter, Rumble, and all other platforms, as well as Substack. Now, my Substack page is free, so you can subscribe on my Substack by heading over to briannamorello.com. That's briannamorello.com, and you can sign up for my Substack and all my other social media platforms right on there. We'll be right back. To celebrate the new year, we're having the biggest sale ever on overstock clearance and brand new products. For example, save 60% on our Goose Down comforters, the best comforters ever. They go perfectly with our MyPillow bed sheets and duvet covers. Save 25% on our brand new kitchen towels. They're made with the same technology as our famous My Towels. Our initial quantities are extremely low, so get them now before they go. Our seasonal flannel sheets are finally in. You save up to 50% and they sell out fast every year, so order now. They're truly the best flannel sheets you'll ever sleep on. Or save up to 80% on all our clearance items. And this is where it gets even better. For a limited time, your entire order ships absolutely free. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use that promo code to get deep discounts on all MyPillow products. And for a limited time, your order ships absolutely free. You guys, I've said it once before, so I'm going to say it again. And under the Biden regime, I've never been more worried about my financial future. I called my good friend, Dr. Kirk Elliott, because I wanted to come up with a plan put in place to make sure I was secure. And he came with a plan for me to invest in silver. I'm rich. I've got my silver. I'm feeling so much better about my future. I highly recommend you give him a call and just chat with his team. 720-605-3900. And you could also head over to his website if you'd like to schedule an appointment. It's kirkelliottphd.com slash Brianna. Why are you guys making it easier for people to enter the country illegally? I believe we are. Why do you think we are? Well, you guys sued to cut razor wire that was put in place by Texas officials. So that the Border Patrol could actually do their jobs, but keep going. Well, you won in court, so now what? The Border Patrol Union president is saying the Supreme Court's decision is going to undoubtedly encourage more illegal immigration. Do you guys know better than the Border Patrol Union? The Border Patrol needed access, and that's why we sued to get rid of that uh, razor wire, so that they could do their jobs. And you know what would also help them do their jobs, Peter? More Border Patrol agents. There's an idea. And if you go back to the supplementary request that we put in, there's money in there for some 1,300 additional Border Patrol agents. We want to help them do their jobs. We want to give them more resources. And the answer we kept get, keep, keep getting back from House Republicans is no, no, no. John Kirby might have a very difficult role, I must say, because having to keep a straight face on when you're spewing those kind of lies, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. But the White House is learning a very valuable lesson, and it's don't mess with Texas. Now, we've been talking about this for the last few days now regarding the Supreme Court's ruling and allowing Border Patrol to cut back on those razor uh, fencing and the razor wire that's being placed around the border, the Eagle Pass area. But ultimately what this ruling does is it just says that 
states can't protect themselves ultimately. And what's going on right now in Texas is absolutely an invasion. And there's only a couple of people who are willing to call it out, especially politicians these days. The Texas land commissioner tweeted this out, and I thought it was worth a look. Her reaction to the ruling states, this is a federally sanctioned invasion. And I'd have to actually have to agree with that. It is. And, you know, as we continue to see the administration pushing back and helping these illegal migrants invade the state of Texas, Texas is pushing back again by laying out more, as you see there, more razor wire. And it's ultimately the only way you push back and you fight back against this invasion is you have to keep going at it. I want to bring in the woman behind the very great tweet that I do really appreciate because she's being direct. She's calling it out like it needs to be. Let's bring in Dr. Dawn Buckingham. She is a Texas land commissioner. Commissioner, thank you for being here. When I saw the Supreme Court's ruling, I was shocked because two so-called conservative justices did swing over to their liberal colleague side and they're supporting the cutting of this razor wire. Ultimately, though, this is deeply concerning for those in the state of Texas because it pretty much says that, you know, you guys aren't allowed to protect your land. What was your reaction to hearing the ruling and how does Texas move forward? Well, thank you, Brianna, and for all that you do. You know, my reaction was just that of complete and utter surprise. Um, I really don't understand their reasoning behind it. The barriers, such as the wire, the wall, it channels people who want to cross into legal crossing points where they are much more easily accessed by Border Patrol. I felt like the arguments that the federal government made as to why they should be able to cut the wire were completely disingenuous. But, you know, we have a little saying here in Texas, if you want it, come and take it. So if Biden wants our razor wire, I invite him to try and come and take it. Yeah. And speaking of that, you guys aren't letting uh, Border Patrol get into Shelby Park. It's still being blocked right now, which I know most Texans agree with, because ultimately uh, that's where this wire is being placed. And ultimately it is it is working. Uh, you know, we saw reports earlier today from Fox News that DPS has made uh, 30 arrests for those who are looking to still try to get their way and claw their way through the razor wire. They're using clothes or using other things to do to kind of fend themselves off from the razor wire. But ultimately, when they do cross over legally, they are being arrested. Uh, I want to get to a statement that just came out hours ago, and it's from your governor, Greg Abbott. He ultimately is saying, I have already declared an invasion to invoke Texas constitutional right and authority to defend and protect itself. The authority is the supreme law of the land. How do you, is this strong enough? Do you think, do you think the governor is coming off strong enough in this, his, these claims? Because he is pretty much saying that Texas does have a right to defend themselves and you guys will. Absolutely. I thought Governor Abbott's statement was very strong in his letter. And, you know, it is exactly right. The Constitution in Article 4, Section 4 um, says that the federal government is obligated to uh, defend us and defend our border. And then in Article 1, Section 10, it talks about should the federal government fail us, then we have the constitutional right. We don't have to ask anybody else to defend our own border. And that's what we're all trying to do in Texas. We are dedicating billions of dollars every year to our own form of border enforcement. We are passing additional laws, which are also going to be in court or in court right now um, about how we can detain the Im illegal immigrants ourselves, And I just keep wanting to remind people that the folks coming across our border, these are not free people coming into the American dream. They are enslaved by the cartels, by the most violent gangs. They are going to be forced to, 
either do labor, sell drugs, sell their bodies, the things that happen to the young women that are coming across are unspeakable. And that is why, you know, we want people to come here legally. This is not that process. The next court dates are six years away. We're talking about six million people, more than the individual populations of 33 states that have come across in Biden's time as it is. And it is economically devastating and completely unfair to those enslaved individuals that are coming across. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is really important for people to understand. A lot of times, you know, we see Democrats just refer to them as asylum seekers, but they don't talk about the the path to getting here. A lot of these women and children are sexually assaulted on their voyage up here. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. That's why you cannot promote illegally entering the United States because these cartels are taking advantage of it. You know, the White House has been asked about the razor wire a couple of times and both the press secretary and John Kirby. They've had a tough time kind of answering whether or not um, whether or not it's working. And so I want to play a quick soundbite from the both of them and then get your reaction on the other side to this. I don't have the, the specifics on the, what the border security is going to do and how they're going to do it. Look, we are uh, certainly glad that the Supreme Court uh, made the decision to, to uh, uh, vacate the injunction that prevented border security to actually do their jobs, to do humanitarian work, to actually, in, uh, to actually uh, enforce laws. Uh, and it got in the way. It, and, what, uh, and what was put forward that what, what, uh, what uh, Texas was doing, the governor was doing, was actually ineffective. And that's something that we have to remember. It was ineffective. Does razor wire work? Does razor wire work for what? Does it work for the Border Patrol to allow them to have the access they need to be able to uh, to better process people that are uh, trying to get across the border? I don't think so. And that's why we asked for it to be removed. Okay, the only reason why I play that soundbite, because I want to pair it up with this meme that you posted last night. Uh, in it, it shows, <laughs> does razor wire work? And you'll see in this meme that you posted, it actually does work. And we know it works because the White House uses it when they're looking to protect their property. And so ultimately, right, re- rules for thee, not for me. I think it's amazing. Does razor wire work, <laughs> Commissioner? Because I'm pretty sure they know it does. Well, it's around every prison. It it, uh, it 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 protects all kinds of perimeters. It clearly works. It's used and been used in multiple wars. You know, the bottom line is it's the Biden administration's policies. They're drawing the people here. They are drawn into slavery. They are forced to live in the shadows. They are having the American dream stripped from them every minute. And and until we have a change at the federal level. This outpouring is unfortunately going to continue. Texas still stands in the gap every day doing everything we possibly can to defend our border. And we will continue to do that until we get complete operational control of the border. But I just keep reminding people, we need everyone to wake up. We need everyone to realize the devastation, the problems this causes, the the harm that these people walk into. And that is not the way we want people coming into America. We need legal immigration. We have a process for that. So let's utilize that. Realize that the barriers work. Realize that it's the federal policies that are driving this. And let's get a new Republican president in and a change of these policies so we can see some sanity and some actually uh, let's let's follow our Constitution for a change and um, and obey the rule of law. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's what we need to do. And I'm thankful that, you know, we have strong Republicans holding the line down in Texas because essentially it's, we're all border states at this point. And so we all have to be giving our resources to Texas and Arizona and all these states so they could push back and help defend their, their borders because ultimately it's not just going to affect Texas. It's going to affect the rest of us. And so. I, I really appreciate all that you guys are doing down there and we're all with you. If there's anything you guys need, let us know. Uh, I mean, I live in Florida and, and I've gone a couple of times to watch border patrol fend off our waters uh, from illegal migration. And so mm -hmm. uh, if you guys, and, and I know our governor has offered his help. So hopefully if you guys need anything, feel free to reach out. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure we give you guys our resources and we thank you for everything that you're doing commissioner. We really do. We'll just, Keep spreading the good word. That's what we need. We need people to really understand what's happening here. And we appreciate you. God bless. Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The MyPillow guy. And you're looking good. He's still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever. MyPillow 2.0. <gasps> When I invented my pillow, it had everything you'd ever want in a pillow. Well, now there's new technology that makes it even better. My Pillow 2.0 has my patented fill combined with a cooling fabric with temperature regulating thread. My Pillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of my pillow. Now's the time to go to mypillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use the promo code to save 50% on your MyPillow 2.0. Not only that, for a limited time, your entire order ships absolutely free. You're sleeping even better. And cooler, too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. MyPillow.com. Before I go, I always have to put on some deodorant. And I used to look all the time for the best deodorant. I couldn't find it on the shelves at all until our good friends over at Give a Derm came out with a brand new deodorant. This one's called Pits Me Off. It's incredible. Watch this, it's super easy. Ta-da, and that's all you need. And it dries super quick. Obviously, I'm wearing black. There's no white residue left over. It's a natural deodorant. It's made right here in the USA. There's none of those Chinese harmful chemicals also included in it. It's giveaderm.com, and then use the promo code Brianna for 10% off. You gotta try it. We just got our hands on some new documents thanks to the good folks over at America First Legal. In it, it pretty much maps out what we kind of already suspected, and that was how CISA influenced the 2020 election. Now, they are finding out at America First Legal all the good stuff based on a lawsuit that they filed. They're getting all these emails, and they're getting all these graphs internally that were, that were kind of handed out. And it's interesting, because ultimately, I'm going to walk you through some of this right now. They have gotten some information regarding the absentee ballot push. Now... These revealings pretty much tell us, tell us what we already knew, right? That CISA was aware that there really wasn't a threat by telling Americans to go out and vote in person. And they were aware of it, but they still did it anyway. So let's go through this. So CISA knew mail-in and absentee ballots are less secure than in person. They're admitting that in email. So they have that. CISA also, like I said, had no credible evidence to support the claim that in-person voting would spread COVID-19. Also, CISA relied on an accounting and a consulting firm to gather disinformation narratives regarding vote by mail across social media for the purpose of monitoring and censoring. And that's what's important, right? We talk about it all the time, the correlation between CISA 
and its efforts to censor Americans online. And so it's interesting that America's first legal will be able to get their hands on this. Now, it also discusses in this report, CISA uh, was aware that mass vote by mail schemes pose major challenges, including the purpose of mailing and returning ballots. Now, ultimately, in one of the emails, this is really detailing about the the risk of these ballots not making their way to the person, the voter, you, and then making their way back to get counted in time. And so CISA knew all this. They knew that there was risks involved in it, but they still pushed it anyway. And we heard about this. We remember this back in 2020, this massive push for mail-in ballots. And so here it is, again, another another report that just maps out exactly what was being done behind the scenes to push mail-in ballots, the misleading information that was given out to the American people. We also have another one. So it says CISA continued supporting the unprecedented voting policy changes implemented across the states in 20 states. Now, there's a graph that breaks all of this down. It is full screen mail-in voting. And ultimately, it is a six, it gives you like six significant fraud risk presented by mail-in ballots. And it outlines everything. So CISA had all of this information in front of them. They knew exactly what that's that's the graphic that CISA had that they created, which pretty much shows you the mail-in voting risk. They knew all about this, and yet they still pushed for this. And we're seeing this all the time, right? We're seeing now all of a sudden all these 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 federal agencies are having all of these facts turn up. And it's just so appalling because, yes, they pushed for this. They wanted for for our federal government to push out these mail-in ballots, knowing that they were not safe and they were not secure. I'm going to bring in somebody from America's First Legal who's been working on all of this. You might be familiar with him. I've had him on the show before. Johnson Drosny. He's also the former deputy assistant to President for the Office of Senior Advisor for Policy in the Trump administration. John, thank you for being here. Uh, this is a complete bombshell, ultimately, because most of us suspected CISA's role in all of this, right? We all figured that they were pushing these mail-in ballots behind the scenes, but they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew there was a risk involved, that it was it, it was heavily flawed, I guess I would say, and that's a nice way of putting it. And they also knew that there really wasn't any risk involved with pushing for Americans to go out and vote in person. They knew that there wasn't this threat of spreading COVID-19. Your reaction to the latest emails that your lawsuit has uncovered with America First Legal? Hey, Brianna, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, what we've uncovered, thank you for talking about those documents. What we uncovered, it's a reminder that there really are no conspiracy theories anymore, just spoiler alerts. And <sighs> what we came across was just basically exactly what a lot of people feared existed, which was the federal government using federal authority um, to push against um, fair and free elections and make sure that fraud happened. Like you said, they basically, the documents we've obtained thus far have confirmed that, uh, that CISA was able at the time, prior to the 2020 election, to say that, the, that um, mail-in balloting was far less secure than in-person balloting, which any person with common sense understands, that yeah. COVID was not an infection risk for in-person balloting, which we all were saying at the time, uh, that CISA largely pushed past this. They made a half-hearted media attempt to talk about uh, what they had on their in their possession right before the 2020 election. But even if they were sincere by then, it was really too late. And they've spent the last few years and, and the time prior to that uh, managing getting people on board uh, in terms of external partners and federal employees to engage in a massive censorship regime. They cre created something, the Election Integrity Partnership, and they enlisted a massive federal contractor, Deloitte, to basically monitor Americans and crush anyone who was saying that mail-in balloting wasn't secure. So if you ever wanted a textbook case on why 
the federal government is too big and it's harmful to Americans' rights. It's what CISA has done over the last few years. Yeah, and we've been mapping that out for quite some time now. It's alarming that they were able to get away with this. But thankfully, you know, you all at AFL have been kind of holding their feet to the fire. And if you're looking to look over the documents yourself, you can just head over to AFL, uh, AFlegal.org. Sorry about that. And give it a look. There's so many here to kind of dissect and go through. Ultimately, though, uh, John, how do we resolve this issue? Because we're heading into another election this year. And, you know, we're speculating that they might try to interfere again in our election. How do we get ahead of all of this before they do so? Brianna, they absolutely are planning to interfere, uh, probably on a more massive scale than in the past. And honestly, I think the only way at some point you just have to shut down bad federal actors. Congress has to step in and close CISA. Uh, I know for that they are hesitant to say that for a lot of different reasons. I heard through friends on the Hill that uh, there are too many people who literally just don't want to close a federal agency because they like the power. I mean, even Republicans are saying that behind closed doors. That's absurd. It needs to be shut down. And by the way, in some ways, if you recall, CISA was created for the whole, it says it in its name. It was designed to prevent cybersecurity and infrastructure threats. Um, they're doing anything but really. So even if Congress likes the idea that there was this anti-cyber threat agency, they're clearly not even doing their job. We were doing the job before with whatever we had, and it's really worth taking a second look. They've got to be shut down, and the bad actors have to be sent to prison. Yeah, well, we're seeing that all over all of our federal agencies, right, that they've kind of gone rogue, and they've they've kind of distanced themselves from the actual core mission. And so, you know, when President Trump gets back into the White House, he's got his hands full because – This is just another entity of our federal government that has completely gone rogue. So I I hope it plays out well for us in 2024, obviously, for this upcoming election. I want to jump over, though, to something we talked about earlier in the show with the Texas land commissioner. Uh, Ultimately, as, as you know, Texas is trying to push back and they are trying to stop what's taking place in their state, which is a complete invasion. Uh, There's no other way to put it. They are being invaded by foreigners and they're illegally entering. And so they've done it by placing, you know, wire, uh, razor wire across their border to try to secure it in any way possible. And, you know, we saw the Supreme Court pretty much step in and rule that the Border Patrol agents have the right to cut that razor wire. So the state of Texas, as we described earlier, is pushing back by, not allowing C, uh, CBP to uh, to enter certain parts like in Eagle Pass, Texas. And they're even placing more razor wire down to make sure that these migrants cannot come in. We just heard from Texas Governor Greg Abbott that he is going to continue to back the state's right to defend themselves. What's your reaction to just the governor coming out and saying that we're not going to back down, we're going to protect our constitutional rights to defend our state's and we're not going to listen to Supreme Court when it comes to this because it's a horrible ruling. Uh, Brianna, I, I think what Governor Abbott did is amazing. I want to give him thanks of a lot of people who are sick and tired of the federal government ignoring the Constitution uh, and hurting American the American people in the process. He's exactly right. States have an independent constitutional duty to defend states and their populations and their borders. They are not appendages of a corrupt Washington. They are, in fact, sovereign states. And what I think that Supreme Court decision, that the Supreme Court decision was an egregious decision. I hope it begins a phase in American history where we start to ignore federal courts because they seem to think that they get to be followed just because they say something. They have to start getting back to adhering to the Constitution. And what that decision shows is that, honestly, some Supreme Court justices have decided to be political instead of actually saying, um, we support the Constitution. Here's what the Constitution allows. Um, 
Governor Abbott's doing the right thing. I hope he keeps fighting back. Um, he doesn't work for Washington. And there's also something, this is one thing that I find really frustrating, Brianna. You'll notice um, the Supreme Court's garbage decision basically says um, the federal government's in charge of immigration. Well, they're in charge of federal aspects of immigration. No one's expecting or allowing states to, for example, put aliens on planes and fly them back to their home countries. But states have domestic security, safety, and security obligations for their own people and for the United States as a whole. Uh, and because the federal government is AWOL in this very important national mission, it doesn't mean the states get stripped of their ability to defend themselves. So mm -hmm. cheers to Governor Abbott. I hope a lot of other governors follow suit. I hope states start working together and saying, you will stop. We will defend the country whether you like it or not, and the courts will get the message. Yeah, I hope so, too. And listen, most people are critical of Governor Abbott. They don't think that he's really doing a, a good enough job protecting the border. But ultimately, I mean, he seems to be coming out strong on all of this. The, the entire nation is watching because ultimately we say it all the time, but it's not just Texas and Arizona that are border states. It's the entire country and they're all feeling it. He's done a great job at making these liberal cities feel the burden as well by sending these migrants to New York, Chicago. And that's why so many voters now, regardless of their political affiliation, are feeling the burden and they're going to take it out on Democrats in November. There's no other way to look at it because they're ultimately, these people are frustrated. Their quality of life has drastically gone down, whether you're a veteran or you're someone who's struggling to, to get by in Chicago and New York City. I mean, Chicago already has a crime issue on its hands. And now they're reporting the surging crime that's just coming into the city based on this, the migrants who are being dropped off and dumped there, whether it's robbery, theft, or other crimes. And so everyone's going to head to the voter box pretty soon and, and get very frustrated and take it out on Democrats. And I'm looking forward to that, hopefully. I want to jump into something else that's happening next week. DHS Secretary uh, Alejandro Mayorkas is facing impeachment. He is likely to be impeached next week. Uh, John, your take on this, because we've heard Mayorkas come out and say to members of Congress reportedly that the person coming in right behind him is going to probably be much worse. What's your take on the potential impeachment of this man? Because I'm a little fearful whoever's coming in behind him is probably going to be worse. Well, Brianna, I wouldn't worry so much about that. We have First steps first, right? We have to get rid of this incredibly corrupt human being. Alejandro Mayorkas may be one of the worst, most vile human beings to ever draw a federal paycheck. And his mm -hmm. removal is important. If for no other reason, we send the signal that um, federal officials can and should be removed for not following law. They don't get to pull a Nuremberg defense and say, I was just doing what I was told to do. Uh, and then they can be pushed out of federal service and possibly barred from federal service and receipt of federal income in the future. And mm -hmm. where else to start but one of the guys who decided that he was going to basically stand down on protecting the American citizenry. So next week, uh, a, a Chairman Mark Green of the House Homeland Committee is going to initiate what's called a markup for the articles of impeachment. That's basically they're going to take the last few meetings they've had for the impeachment inquiry, um, propose articles to the members of the committee, vote on those articles and push them to the floor of the House for further votes. And uh, I'm optimistic that not only will it pass out of committee, it will pass the House um, they're taking a holistic perspective on all the damage that Mayorkas has done to the country. And uh, then it's in the Senate's lap. Now, I, I don't know what the Senate's going to do, but there's an argument to be made that the Senate Democrats and, you know, a few in tight races, plus the Republicans, they may be loath to impeach a president if Joe Biden were to be impeached for all his uh, China corruption. But they might actually impeach a or remove a secretary that is basically standing down on border enforcement. They might throw him under the bus for their own political well-being. So we might have a real test here. And it's a really good precedent, in my opinion, to set because you don't get to say, I was just doing what I was told while I was killing Americans and get away with it. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, he can't get away with it. They shouldn't be getting away with it. But unfortunately, you know, right now we're in a tough situation because we don't have we don't have a majority in in the Senate. So I'm a little concerned there. And uh, gosh, we just got to get Joe Biden out of there. It's getting so bad. It's it's unbearable to continue watching. There's just a lack of understanding. And then oh, last week, too, with uh, Anthony Blinken at the World Economic Forum, finally admitting that fentanyl is an issue in our country. Well, thank you for waking up, dude. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, this guy's been sleeping on this the whole time. The administration doesn't want to address the fentanyl issue. But now that we're in election year, they're coming clean. And it's it's a it, it almost comes off as too late at this point, obviously, because we're about three years into this. But We'll see. We're getting closer. We're about, what, 10 months away from election day? Just almost about? I don't know. John, I'm getting a little nervous, but we'll see what happens. Thank you so much, John Zendrosny, for joining us. We appreciate it. You guys, I've said it once before, so I'm going to say it again. Under the Biden regime, I've never been more worried about my financial future. I called my good friend, Dr. Kirk Elliott, because I wanted to come up with a plan put in place to make sure I was secure. And he came up with a plan for me to invest in silver. I'm rich. I've got my silver. I'm feeling so much better about my future. I highly recommend you give him a call and just chat with his team. 720-605-3900. You could also head over to his website if you'd like to schedule an appointment. It's kirkelliotphd.com slash Brianna. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm here to tell you about my new product from MyPillow, towels that actually work. Watch this absorbency test. Here's another towel that we randomly went out and bought. Here's one of my towels with a nice design. I don't know if you can see this, but you could line a swimming pool with this. I mean, this is crazy. Get rid of it. Towels that actually work. What a concept. I'm interrupting this commercial to let you know you can get our six-piece My Towels, regular $69.98, now only $29.98. Or you can save 25% on our brand new kitchen towels made with the same technology as our famous My Towels. Also, we have bath sheets, bath towels, washcloths, hand towels, and so much more. And the best part, with your promo code, your entire order ships absolutely free. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use that promo code to get deep discounts on all my towels. And for a limited time, your order ships absolutely free. The only channel dedicated exclusively to world entertainment I'm your host, Brianna Morello. My journey into conservative media is quite unique. I was raised in Huntington, New York with my six siblings. My mom stayed at home and raised us all while my father worked. After graduating school, I landed in the sports world. I was a freelance reporter and a producer for several outlets. I worked for companies like Major League Baseball, NHL, ESPN Plus, and many others. But it wasn't until a couple of years in the sports world I realized it just wasn't for me. So I made the jump into the news industry. My first gig was at Fox News and Fox Business. I was a teleprompter operator. And although they say it's an entry-level position, it was extremely high-pressure environment. You stay classy, San Diego. I'm Ron Burgundy. Damn it! Who typed a question mark on the teleprompter? After spending a year over at Fox, I decided New York wasn't for me. So I picked up all my belongings and drove all the way down to South Florida. I moved to West Palm Beach before anyone else did. And then during my time in West Palm Beach, I landed at a local news station down here. I was so tired of having to just copy and paste over scripts from platforms like the Associated Press and other platforms where you just don't put thought process into it and there's somebody else who's generating a script for your anchor. So then I ended up landing at Newsmax. 
I think Bloomberg has a really tough situation he's going through right now. After spending quite some time over at Newsmax, I did head back to Fox. I started working for Maria Bartiroma as a booking producer for her Fox Business Weekend show, as well as Wall Street Journal at large. After finding out that Fox wanted me to comply with the local New York City vaccine mandate, I resigned. But I am extremely grateful because I am now a firm believer in independent journalism and strongly believe that will save our country. And so I'm honored to be on this independent platform and bring you the stories you won't see anywhere else. Join me in my journey on The Brianna Morello Show here on Rumble. And if you enjoyed that segment, make sure you hit that like button. And if you want to see the news before it becomes the news, you have to subscribe to our channel. And well, if you have a liberal friend that you're looking to save, make sure you share this content with them.